Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. Bethany, welcome. Bethany has a story of loss and finding purpose after loss. With the unexpected passing of her husband, left Bethany to be a widow to raise her two boys on her own. I'm sitting here today to hear her story of how she navigated this tragedy, pivoted and became the leader of her life and shifted her focus on happiness from within. Bethany is a highly dynamic, internationally known certified holistic nutritional consultant, TM, and real food advocate. Bethany is focused on guiding busy, health-conscious parents to their optimum healthy lifestyle through nutrition while creating a holistic balance. After all, she created her business, Nutritious and Delicious, because she believes a healthy family starts with a healthy parent. So let's dive into it. So let's talk about, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the history and, and the why in your story. So your husband passed away unexpectedly and you were left as a widow with two young children. So can you walk us through, you know, that journey and what happened? Yeah, definitely. So I was originally a stay-at-home mom. Um, I had sort of worked in the diet and health industry as a nurse, um, so I had obviously my career and everything behind me. And um, I was a stay-at-home mom with a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and unfortunately, yes, my husband had passed away um, due to um, self-infliction, basically. Um, And I was left with my three- and five-year-old to raise by myself, and basically to figure it all out on my own um, financially too. That was the other aspect was that I didn't really have my business completely up and running at that point. So it was really like a big uh, a shock to the system, I would say. And so, yeah, I, I just can't imagine what it would be like with two young children and, and, and the loss of your husband. So walk us through like, you know, afterward, like you had to kind of pick yourself up and, and what was that like that time in your life? Were you, was it, you know, you were scared, you probably felt alone, there were a lot of questions, like how did you get through that time in your life? Um, I didn't really feel alone per se um, at first because I had a lot of community around me. I had um, a support group already going in and I think that's what really helped kind of get me through. Um, I had a good network of friends and family members that were helping me out. Um, I also was basically taking care of myself with nutrition, physical fitness, um, like my mindset, everything. So I'd already kind of like geared myself up for it. So I think I was in a a way better place um, than I have been previously uh, before. So, you know, it was still obviously like, you know, a shock and everything to be able to kind of do this on my own. But the first few months are kind of just you're going through the motions of having to kind of Um, you know, make lots of phone calls and deal with like the logistics and everything. So it's kind of like the shock wears off months later um, after the fact, right? So. So did it, so it did take a while then for it to sink in. And what was that like when you realized, okay, I'm the sole leader in this family, not even necessarily from a financial commitment, just a a, a parental commitment? Um, On the personal side, it made me angry just because it was, that feeling of like being left kind of to with all this responsibility it was a massive uh load and i wanted to 
you know, be that rock for my boys. And it was a lot, like, it was a lot to think, like, I'm the only parent now, like, how am I going to do this, basically? Like, um, just thinking about the future was scary, uh, thinking about what my life would look like in the future. Um, I basically had to sort of take it one step, one day at a time, because it was so overwhelming otherwise. And so how, how many years ago was that that you lost your husband? It would be five years this October. Okay. About four and a half. And so did you go into, like, is it a fight or flight mode that you realized, okay, now I'm the financial support of my family. What do I have to do to support, protect? And so what was that journey? You had, it sounds like you had just kind of, you know, dipped your toes into this, the holistic nutritional business. And so was everything just amped because you kind of go in this fight or flight mode? Yeah, I uh, started my business a long time ago, actually. I knew I always wanted to do it. I wanted to do it while my kids were kind of growing up. I always wanted to be the stay-at-home mom. And I think what drove me to kind of dig my heels in and, and stay at home, because I kind of was either thinking, like, you know, I could go and get a full-time job. But I wanted to be that stay-at-home mom. I said to myself, I need to do this from home. And it was right before, obviously, COVID hit. Um, so about... Uh, I think it was 2019, I started to do everything online virtually and obviously everybody sort of kicked into gear later and did that themselves. But um, it gave me the momentum because it got me up every day to want to better myself and actually help other women go through different challenges in their life. So I actually built a program around basically women taking care of themselves and being the leaders in their life um, with basically my motivation from everything that I kind of went through. So. And what a better, no better person to do it than someone who's really like, uh, you know, you're practicing what you preach yeah. because you've just been through this great loss. Right. And so I would assume that your, you know, your clients um, can really be connected with you because they feel that you're coming from a place of authenticity, right? right? You're not, you know, you're not uh, trying to teach people something that you haven't been through. Mm -hmm. So what was it like grieving the loss of your husband while still having to be a mom and show up for your kids every day? Because of their age, they were three and five, they were so kind of unaware, I think, that I almost had to put on that front for them for a while because, you know, they really didn't need to see me break apart. Um, it, it would happen, obviously, once in a while, and that's a natural process of grief, unfortunately. But I think what I did was I had to sort of separate myself and put that hat on and be mom and be that rock during the day. And then when they were at preschool or kindergarten, I would kind of take that time to myself. My room was kind of my sanctuary, and that would obviously be my area where I'd sit and, you know, go over things. I'd write in my journal, I'd talk out loud, um, trying just to sort of connect with myself and understand kind of what was really going on. Because you have a lot of questions, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of whys on you know, unanswered for you. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to sort of make sense of it and be mom at the same time. So there's kind of this aspect of you're, you're kind of just doing what you need to do to help your kids get through their day, get dropped off, do their normal life, and you want to keep it normal as possible for them, right? Of course. And, and do you think a part of your savior was then growing this business because it gave you something to focus on? Yeah. Um, my kids got me up every day, and I think that was what pushed me to do my business, not out of the sheer aspect of, you know, the finances. It was more out of passion because I wanted um, to kind of put that that feeling to helping other people you know so it kind of led that passion to you know I don't want to sit here and suffer and, and I've, I've had postpartum and stuff before and anxiety so I understand the mental health aspect and the road you could possibly go down mm -hmm. if you kind of don't look at that and I, you know I say basically you have two directions and 
right away, I think when I found out, I literally made a decision that day and was like, I have to go up because I'm at the bottom of the basement mm-hmm. right now. There was nowhere to go but up. Right. And so you touched on something, postpartum depression, which I know is very common amongst women. Um, I have two daughters. i um, very grateful I didn't experience PPD, but what would you say to new, new mothers who are suffering from postpartum? What advice can you give them? The biggest thing that I didn't do, and probably because I was in such a state of um, isolation was that reach out to community and it's hard when you are in that state because you're kind of isolated because you don't feel like people understand you what actually changed for me though once I found that community was that somebody else understood I think when I was going through that it was people telling me society telling me um, you know this should be the happiest time of your life yet I didn't feel like that at all um, and when I actually started to hit the community groups um, in public at that time of women who were experiencing the same thing, I started hearing similar stories to how I felt, and I was like, mm-hmm. wow. So I think it's that same sharing, and that's why I'm sharing today, because if I can help someone understand, like, you know, you, you may not have gone through the same thing as I have. Not a lot of people can say, like, my partner, you know, has passed away at such a young age, and I'm now left with children, but there's other women that have gone through abusive relationships or divorce, separation, um, you know, abusive in childhood, all that kind of stuff. And there's definitely a relatability in, mm-hmm. in that element. So, Well, it's like that saying, like, you know, suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, um, you know, there is that silver lining that it's really scary, I think, to share and be vulnerable and, and talk about the trauma that you've gone through. But through that, there's also so much healing, especially when you feel like you're, when you realize that you're really not alone. Because I would imagine when you're going through that trauma, you know that other women have lost their husbands to suicide, but it's your story. Like your story is different than someone else's. So how could someone really understand how I feel? And um, so that's why, I mean, I'm so grateful that you're here today, you know, sharing your story because I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can can relate and maybe not feel alone. Mm-hmm. Um, how has this immense loss affected your children? Now I know they were very young, so three and five. I you know I have now six and nine, mm-hmm. so the three year old would probably have very limited recollection, yeah. but your five year old would have more recollection. Yeah, um, it definitely has. I would say affected my eldest more because he had more memory of. Um, being around obviously his dad and everything the three-year-old like I can barely remember like anything as a three-year-old but um he's he's seven currently now and my oldest is nine so I when I asked them kind of do they remember like me telling them I don't think they really do Mm. um with children grief is delayed and I didn't realize that like when I told them there was no crying or anything and I kind of was a little bit shocked that I didn't get a response really out of them they just sort of re-asked the question again and you know I was just very calm with them when I told them um but the only thing my eldest really did was he took his little stuff he went into the bathroom and he just matter-of-factly told his stuffy so he was sort of reiterating what was just said but didn't really know how to process it so he was trying to do it with his stuffed animal um, it wasn't until later so it took about six months and that's typically what they say is children have delayed grief um, six months until I started to notice their behavior started to change. So um, it was more so I'd say my eldest, um, like crying at nighttime, but didn't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, very kind of didn't want to be left alone. So again, there's that separation anxiety and yeah, I still have to deal with that right now. 
Um, and my youngest probably used to, I remember he used to come into my bedroom and he never used to do that. So in the middle of the night, he would just walk into my bedroom and climb into my bed and like go to sleep, you know, beside me, which happened for about a week, but that was very unusual for him. So I think they realized something was up with me. I think that was more so what it was. Um, and it didn't really, I think, affect me. I think the shock wore off, I think, more so when I saw it through them. I think that was the hardest part, was when I saw them being upset by it, mm-hmm. right? That must be so difficult as a, as a parent because you just, you want your kids to um, flourish and to be happy. And, and so then did you have to, did you, were you able to get some help, like some counseling for you and your kids? Yeah. That's where I noticed, um, probably with my eldest son, because he wasn't sort of going to bed. He was kind of delaying going to sleep. And I think the reason for that is I think the last time he saw his dad, he tucked him into bed, said goodnight. And I think that's to him. He, I, he didn't really understand it, but I think just he sort of remembers like saying goodnight is saying goodbye, you know, kind of to him. So um, we ended up putting him into grief counseling here um, in the city. And then I started noticing a few little things with my youngest son, and it was more the um, drop off and pick up at preschool. It was more trying to get accustomed to being with somebody else, which wasn't a problem. And all of a sudden, it started being a problem. So we brought him in. He got uh, you know some counseling, and they do play stuff with them. So it's not the same as an adult where they sit and talk about it. They just kind of play act things out, you know. Um, so that really helped them. And and we also read some grief books, which really helped clarify what happened in mm-hmm. their age appropriate way so and how are they doing today they're thriving like I'm so glad that I've done everything I've done in my life because that is basically my mission through my business and my whole life is a healthy family starts with a healthy parent and I think because I've done so much work on myself these last you know few years it's you can see it's just osmosis it's gone mm. through them and they have kind of that same strength passed on from myself right Oh, I love hearing that, that there's hope after tragedy, right? Yeah. For such a great loss. Mm-hmm. And so how did you manage taking time for yourself to help you cope with the loss? Because you're now in this fight or flight mode, like I have, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, the financial leader, I'm the parent. How do you take care of yourself during that loss? I, I think I was lucky enough in the beginning that I kind of was already looking after myself like nutritionally, physically, like I worked out all the time. So I kind of just kept that going. I wanted to keep my life as normal as possible. So that aspect, I always still cooked healthy food for the boys and myself, um, went to the gym, looked after myself. Um, and I obviously had like a group and family and friends that I could go to. Um, I had more help in terms of like, luckily I have both sets of grandparents Mm. in the city. So lucky. (laughs) Yeah. So they were able to help me. And and I know in the very beginning, like my dad would help me with everything and come over and just, they all had their own way of doing it. Like my mom would look after the kids. My dad would help me sort of do all the logistics and the bills and understanding what was going on. So, oh, wow. What a Mm. blessing. Yeah. Yeah. So all you listeners, make sure you're close with your parents. (laughs) You need them. them. Then you get to take care of them when they're old and they revert back to children. That's what they remind me of. Yeah. I always, I bug my dad. I'll see if I see my parents every couple months and every, you know, probably every six to 10 months. I'm like, did you get your, have you gotten your prostate check, dad? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know where the wills are, mom? (laughs) They're in the filing cabinet somewhere. Mm. How would you suggest um, our listeners when, you know, if they're, if they've lost someone in their family, maybe it's not a parent, but it's someone close, a grandparent, a sibling. How do you suggest that we speak to our children about death? 
it has to be age appropriate um being that there the level of sort of understanding um three and five was very matter of fact um i was very careful not to because something i had sort of understood and read and listened to psychologists talk about is not really telling children that somebody falls asleep and passes away because that's when they get afraid to go Mm -hmm. to sleep themselves so they think if i fall asleep i will not wake up so i didn't even think about something like that um you have to make it understandable to them that it is a permanent thing. And I didn't think that they would understand that and they got it right away. So I was quite shocked with, I thought they would keep asking me like, where is he or anything like that? But it was very like, it's like once somebody goes to somewhere else, like that's it, right? And whether you're spiritual or religious, you know, um, it's kind of also depending on that too, Mm -hmm. like what people really want to say to their children. the one thing kind of people have to be careful with is sort of other people, other children in the family knowing and sort of saying the wrong things to them. So you got to kind of be mindful if there's older children in the family and then they're going to repeat something that's wrong. Because the problem that I found with um, telling them information is you have to give them sort of tidbits because um, every year they've asked me different questions and they're trying to sort of puzzle piece it together. Um, you don't want to scare them in a way that obviously is graphic or anything, but they are trying to figure out what led up to something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a, was it their fault? And that was something I was massively aware of. And I had to say to them, like, that person loved them, um, but just couldn't be there for them right now, you know? So with children, it's kind of a delicate balance. Um, I did go see like a grief counselor myself and she suggested Um, some books and stuff that I read to them the one thing I found difficult was there was a child's book and it did have the word suicide in it and reading that I felt was really hard for me to say because it's such a it's such a stigma word um, and children don't really comprehend why an adult would do something like that so you get a lot of questions around like well why would somebody do that they don't physically look ill you know, but you don't realize, and I have to say to them, sometimes people don't look ill and, and they pretend to be happy, but they're not really. Like their brain is very ill and sick, right? Yeah. And you can't see that. So that's kind of a child's way of sort of like talking to them about it. Yeah, wow. I, I feel like listening to you, I'd be at such a loss if that happened. Like I would definitely need guidance because you're right as a parent, like you're now the only person that they truly trust. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't want to mess up the message, right? And mess them up. So it's, it sounds like it's a very delicate conversation, but to your point, as they age, the conversation changes and they want to know probably more information because they're able to grasp other concepts. Yeah. And there's a a common statement I say to them and, and my partner too, right now, we, you know, when they ask questions and it's beyond what we need to tell them, we say, you know, I always tell them, I'll always tell you the truth, but I'm only going to tell you what you need to know right now. Mm, And it's kind of that trust with them that like, I will never lie to you, but Mm -hmm. you don't always need to know. And it's not really appropriate right now for how old you are. So they're kind of like, okay. And that's when I kind of get asked the following year, like (laughs) something similar. And I'm like, okay, so now I have to change my approach again, you know? (laughs) So yeah, you're always pivoting. So when they ask you questions that you feel aren't appropriate, what do you say to them? Like, honey, this isn't appropriate. Like, do you say that to them or how do you? 
they come to you with kind of they they're trying to piece it together so they kind of come to you in a way of they they're trying to picture something and sometimes it's quite violent what they're telling you because they're trying to imagine right mm. so they're coming to you with their imagination which is kind of scary because it's not true but they're trying to figure out well, well I see it in a movie I see on, on a cartoon like well how that person you know fell off a cliff or whatever right and then they ask you those kind of blatant questions and it can come out of nowhere like literally you can be at a restaurant and they'll bring it up like um definitely when it first happened every outing we went on my five-year-old told absolutely everybody like waitresses and it was quite hard because it was like a shocking statement and they would look at me sort of for like I'm like yeah that actually happened you know because they thought he was just making it up right Mm. because of how old he was how old was he he was five my eldest oh your eldest was five yeah wow yeah gosh there's no uh I always joke and say I wish there was a book on like step-by-step parenting. I mean, but there's also no book on, you know, what you've no. gone through. So you're kind of, uh, you know, paving the way in, in, in what you feel mm-hmm. is, is right. So you mentioned that you're now in, a, in, it sounds like a committed relationship, a healthy committed relationship. So what was it like dating after and how did you meet your new boyfriend? Um, okay, so I'll start with how I met him. So... Um, <laughs> He approached me through social media, basically. Um, I think it was just something like a question about work. Like I realized he had a mental health platform, which was interesting to me. He realized I was in nutrition. I think he just approached me and asked me, and I said, did you know my story or something? And I ended up telling him and we just connected. Um, We ended up being friends first, which never happens, but we ended up being friends. And I think it's because I had my guard up massively and, wasn't sort of looking or expecting anybody in my life at that point because it was about a year later um, and I had obviously worked on myself quite a bit and was still feeling like you know I don't foresee myself with somebody like that soon Um, and we just kind of had a conversation basically around work we ended up sort of being accountability buddies so he would call often we'd talk about our week and then it kind of got into like how is everything going with the kids and you know he'd ask about my stuff I'd ask about his stuff and more personal conversations came in and then I think we started to realize we had a lot in common like a lot more in common than I thought and that's when I realized I got scared because I'm like oh great now this is coming out of the the business zone and I actually like this person and I could tell he liked me so even our first date um, he asked me to go on a hike with him and I was very adamant, this is not a date. We are not going on a date. So I made sure I picked him up in my minivan at the time. And super hot, yeah, right? Super like, hot. this is going to impress I'm him. like, I will not let you pick me up or do anything for me because I don't want to consider this oh, a date. I love and that. Even just like, he's like, can I buy you a tea? I'm like, no, I buy my own. So it was like everything you shouldn't do, like going on a date. And then I drove us to the mountains. We went on this hike. And just talking to him, I'm like, man, we have so much in common. Like, how is this happening? Like our values were sim- were so similar. Everything we wanted in life for like our business goals and um, just kind of like we connected to and sort of like our own different like things that we had gone through in life. And just at the end of like, we went and did, I think it was Lady McDonald's, which is like one of the hardest hikes ever. We never made it to the top, which he still bugs me about. But I remember coming down and he's like, do you want to go out for dinner? I'm like, damn it, he's asking me on a date. And I'm like, oh. But so, I want to go. Yeah, so I did. I actually oh, said, God. I have to go home. And he's like, no, you're, like I said, I need to go home and have a nap. And he's yeah. like, no, you're going to ignore me or fall asleep. And I'm like, I won't, I promise. 
So we ended up um, going out on a date to, we went and had Mexican food and played some board games or something downtown. And I finally re realized and was like, hey, fine. Like in my head, I was like, we're on a date and I just let it go. And it just, it worked after that. And we've been together ever since. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah. That's wonderful. And so, uh, you know, listening to, to how you met in that, that beginning of the story, you know, what advice could you give to our listeners who are maybe you know, at the brink of facing loss, you know, with a spouse maybe that's going through an illness or have lost someone about, you know, there is more soul, more than one soulmate for you in life. What, how can, you know, what can you speak yeah. to that? Um, that's a crazy notion because I, I think I've asked people about that too. Like, you know, do you believe in soulmates and things like that? I believe people coming to your life for a reason, season or a lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's massive for me. And I have lost best friends throughout this. Like, it's been really tough, but um, I've gone and had people in my in and out of my life that have been there to heal me in that time. And I would say the same thing with having a partner that has, you know, been in your life as well. I never expected it. A really, really weird thing is I'm very intuitive. Even the last, I'd say, year or two before he was alive, I had a really weird intuition. I put on my, I remember I put on my wedding ring and I heard in my head, this is not the only ring you're going to ever have. You're going to have two rings. And I was like, this is weird. Wow. Like, and I didn't even think anything at that point, but I'm wearing a promise ring right now. Aww. So that's another <laughs> ring basically yeah. I'm wearing, but I never would in my wildest dreams imagine that I would be with somebody completely different, living a completely different family life. Um, there's, I'd say to say to somebody else, there's hope that this isn't it for you. Like there's always something more and somebody has a plan for you out there. You know, you're not always going to live in suffering. And I think that's where I thought like, oh, I'm just going to always feel like, you know, I'm broken or this isn't my life or um, where does it go from here? But there's, you don't realize you'll meet so many people along the way, whether it's friends, spouses um, that come through and, help heal you basically. Mm -hmm. I like that. I often use that a reason, a season at a time. And yeah. I've even used that for, you know, you know, the people that I dated before I got married to my husband mm -hmm. and some of the friendships in different stages in my right. life. And I've always been so grateful for those friendships at that time. But if you think of us as, as people and how we evolve and change and grow, mm -hmm. um, I always joke and say, if I married, if, if I had married the guys I dated in my late teens and early 20s, I would surely be divorced yeah. because I'm a totally different person, yeah. you know, than I am. So now today. So were there challenges in having another man introduced to your sons? Um, yeah, in terms of... <laughs> myself again the boys were very open like because they were so young it was like that's why I knew I had to be really careful like in terms of bringing somebody else into their life um the partner that I have was probably the first person I met that didn't have children so um I don't think I saw that as a negative thing I, th I think I saw that more as an opportunity because I knew his f values for family were so strong but boy did I test him like I made sure that he was somebody that really wanted this because I wanted to make sure if you're introduced to my kids, that's you are the last person that is going to be introduced to my kids. No pressure, no boyfriend. Pressure. No pressure. He didn't know that, by the way. But I definitely like. I feel. I feel for him. Like I didn't make it easy. Um, there's one thing to date somebody 
um, but to date somebody that has children as a parent, you're going to be way more protected of them than your own life. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, it was more so when you say the challenges, it was me. Mm -hmm. Like, because I had my guard up and it was kind of wait and see um, approach. It took a couple of months um, for me to like actually introduce them. So they probably didn't really know him. Like I was in contact with him for about nine months until he you know, came into sort of their picture. They knew something was up. They're like, who are you talking to on the phone? I'm like, just a friend, you know? And then finally it was like, can I see you? And they'd like come into the phone. So that was sort of how they first saw him really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's kind of, thank you so much Mm -hmm. for sharing that story because I think it's really um, pivotal in people understanding, you know, your business and, and where you are today. So Let's just kind of shift gears. So you started Nutritious and Delicious. So can you share what the mission behind your business is and where did this passion come from? Mm -hmm. Well, Nutritious and Delicious has kind of been like a multifaceted like start. And I was just saying this to my partner recently is that I feel like I've done many different businesses within my business and it has evolved and changed. And I rebranded everything probably about 2020 um, because just I, I grew and changed. Like you said, you're not, you're kind of the same person and the mission, basically, um, a healthy, you know, a healthy parent comes from a healthy person, basically. So if you're not healthy yourself and having lived through that, seeing somebody else kind of go the wrong direction and having to sort of be that rock for my boys, um, for myself, um, is, is basically what created Nutritious and Delicious. And the mission is today is that if you aren't taking care of yourself, it doesn't matter if it's physically, um, you know, nutritionally emotionally like a lot of it like even his mindset you know Mm -hmm. if you're not kind of looking after that person you're not going to be here girl you're you're speaking you're speaking to me because I'm like such a huge advocate of Mm self-care and I say to people all the time like if you can't show up a hundred percent then how can you expect you know the rest of your life to kind of fall into that category and so I'm not saying every day is a hundred percent but you know um ensuring that you find joy and happiness and and you know nutrition is a huge part of that like what we put into our bodies and so let's chat about um that so what you know if if what's you know some of your clients and and how are you helping them yeah a lot of my clients typically have come to me over the years based on weight loss because Mm -hmm. i have worked in the nursing industry basically um with dieting and unfortunately seeing dieting it was a revolving door people came in they were heavy you know heavy and they weren't actually um, keeping the weight off so what i noticed then the big gap in the diet industry was mindset people were kind of robotic doing what they were told a year later they were actually heavier than when they first came in so i'm like there's a massive gap here Um, and people weren't really learning about like how food can heal. Um, again, what you said, what you put in your body, what you put in your mind, like, what are you listening to? What are you surrounding your, and who are you surrounding yourself with? You know, if you're eating, you know, junk food or around negative people, your mindset's not going to be there. You're going to continue doing those same habits over and over again. People have to get to a breaking point to want to do something about it though. And so are you helping people with nutrition and mindset then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, talk to me about, I guess, the process. So if someone's having challenges, you know, with their diet, uh, let's say I am, mm-hmm. I, and I'm frustrated because I eat late at night and I'm eating processed foods, like take me through kind of that original consultation and maybe the time that you would spend with that client to, to help them. 
I think a lot of my clients are shocked because they think they're coming to me for a nutritional consultation. But I think when I actually talk to them, they're like, oh, how did you know? Because I just kind of almost delve into like what they're going through. So I'm like, hey, walk me through like, what are you craving? Like what's going on? And as they're talking, I'm sort of picking up like, okay, like maybe they're missing like nutrients and things like that. And then I start to ask them about symptoms that they're having. They're like, yeah, I'm having those symptoms and it relates to what I'm thinking about. Um, usually we can do like hair intolerance testing. So checking for nutrients that they're missing in their body um, and understanding why maybe allergies to foods that they're having. And a lot of it honestly is people have a lot of inflammation in their gut. When you have inflammation oh, in your gut, yes. you have inflammation in your brain. And a lot of people are saying, okay, well I have depression. That is inflammation in the brain. Mm -hmm. So it, the gut and the brain relate a lot. So people come to me trying to lose weight and they haven't been able to lose weight. They have gut issues or skin reactions to things. And there's a whole host of inflammation going on. It could be things like medication they've been taking for years. It could be stress levels. It could be drinking. It could be various different things. Um, usually a, a bad diet goes with that as well, unfortunately. But at late at night when they're eating, what's typically hap happening with most people when they eat late at night is because they don't want to deal with their emotions. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to self-soothe and, and bring up their serotonin levels to make themselves feel better. And it's a repeated cycle over and over again. So when I talk to them, they're kind of like, oh, I didn't realize like it was more than just like, you know, follow this plan, right? It's, it all encompasses together. Like, and a lot of it goes back to um, who we're hanging around, how we've grown up, our tapes. And a lot of people don't realize like as they're talking and writing out their tapes, they're saying, and I reiterate back to them and a lot of people are in shock They're, they don't even realize the negativity that is coming out um, and the I can't but this and that and that's their blocks that's stopping them I'm smirking as you're saying this because I'm thinking what triggers me to eat at night and it's watching <laughs> like binge watching something like if I go to bed at like my husband goes to bed Chad's in bed by you know, nine because he wakes up at five yeah. where I've always been a night owl. But if, if we eat dinner with the girls at six, six thirty, and I'm up till 11 in bed watching the bachelor, I am so <laughs> hungry and yeah. I have to like the self-talk I have to give myself is yeah. those feet do not hit the ground. Tanya, do not put those feet on the ground. And then when I feel these cravings, because I'm like binge watching this, like I just finished watching, uh, binge watching Blackbird. And it was like, Every night I watched it at 11 o'clock, I wanted to march downstairs and eat something because yeah. I hadn't eaten since 6.30. So I know that about myself. Yeah. And so if I go to bed, even with Chad, even at 9, but then I read instead of watching something, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm asleep by quarter to 10. Then I don't have to get up and eat. <laughs> See, you've intercepted a different habit, right? So the reading takes over the habit yes. of eating. And I think people don't realize like you're changing habits for habits. So whether you're trying to stop drinking or smoking or anything like that, people typically change them with a habit, whether it's like they'll start exercising, but then you'll put that same intensity into the exercising, which technically is healthy, but you gotta be careful that you're not overdoing either yes. or anything, right? Yeah. So it's those small habits. And first of all, it's realizing mm -hmm. what is going on. So most people just sit there mindlessly do it and then mm -hmm. they don't understand why. Yeah, and that's right? why I watch a movie and it's like, mm -hmm. and then, well, you're on your iPad, so it's that that light from the iPad right. of, of watching it in bed, you know, 90 yeah. degrees. So I got rid of that, and then I started um, either reading a hardcover with a light or um, like one of those soft lights that mm -hmm. clip on, or I changed my iBooks on my iPad to a black screen mm -hmm. instead of a white. I read for 30 to 40 minutes, and I am out. Okay, I got a question for you. Yes. What type of food are you craving? 
usually chips. Is it salty? Yep. Or very salty foods? Yeah. Okay. Salt and vinegar lays, to yeah, be exact. Okay. <laughs> like I have a specific <laughs> brand and everything. The, the reason being is that people crave typically sugar, salt, or carbohydrates. Carbohydrates like breads, pasta, uh, rice, potatoes, like the home cooked food, it's more comfort eating. Mm. So it's like that home feeling of like, my mom made this for me or something. And it also brings on heavier serotonin levels, so it makes you feel sleepy. No, it's just salt and vinegar chips, Lays. That's it. But the salt stuff yeah. is typically if someone's like, have you heard of like an empath? Yes. So if someone who's very empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I, I I don't I don't have that gift as an empath, yeah. like that I can actually say I'm an empath, but I am very I I have a lot of empathy. You have, you give over a lot of energy to other people. Mm-hmm. So yes, salt cravers are typically, and my youngest is like that. He'll eat pickles like no other, and salt is like on everything. But I got told by somebody, make sure you use sea salt on a lot of your food. Which I do. And cook with yeah. it. And also magnesium salt baths on a regular basis. Oh, okay. Because you need to absorb that back in your system because you're depleting so much being that empath for other people around you. So you're a giver. Yes. Yes, and sweets, I am. sweets are... Wow, you got me pegged. <laughs> <laughs> and sweets is like a sugar... It's a big sugar rush. So these are people who are like coffee drinkers and stuff too that you're crashing all the time. Like mm. you're, you're constantly needing that pickup. Interesting, so, which uh, that's not me. So yeah. that would be why I maybe don't crave sugar. Yeah. I mean, I might throw in like a little tiny piece of chocolate after the chips, but it yeah. would be very rare. <laughs> it's just the chip bowl. It's yeah, the two chip bowls. It's the salt that you're yeah. after, right? That is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I find this just, yeah, mm-hmm. very cool. Um, so let's talk about, so you had mentioned, you know, you noticed a gap in people's mindset, mm-hmm. um, you know, when it comes to emotional health and food. So can you speak to this? This, honestly, when I really interviewed people, um, because it was really curiosity for me, I was like, what is going on? Like, I feel like I'm seeing very similar people all the time. And it was very uh, much like we dealt with a lot of obese people, meaning people that had to lose more than like 100 pounds. Um, A lot of it stemmed back to childhood. A lot of it was childhood trauma. And it's a way of putting weight on to protect yourself. That's part of it for some people. Um, They don't want to be seen. Even mm-hmm. though they maybe don't tell you that, it's a subconscious way of sort of keeping yourself safe. Yeah, yeah, so. I've 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 heard that many times, and you know, mm-hmm. some of the work that I've done with people that they, you know, they're very emotional eaters, and they're they're you know, kind of hiding behind the food, and yeah, it's um, I, I I gather that there's a lot of people walking around with undealt trauma. Yeah, I remember a few people specifically saying to me, like really overweight people, saying like, I wish I. I don't know why people say this, but I wish I had a, an, like a, an addiction to alcohol or something instead because at least I could quit. Because mm-hmm. eating, you always have to eat. And I understood what they were trying to tell me was that I always have to be able to eat. Like there's no way I can sort of get around not eating, but I have such a problem with it. And it's that's more so like you really need a psychiatrist or a psychologist if you're that in, like, in depth with um, obsessive eating. Like mm-hmm. people can get really big because of that reason, right? So... So where did you, like, where did your journey in health start? Like, did it start at a very young age? Or I'm trying to just kind of grasp, pardon? I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Like, my mom told, like, I I didn't realize, like, I came from a long line of nurses. Hmm. So I was always that, again, that child. I'm very similar to my youngest child. I was taking care of other children when I was three. It was like, if someone was hurt, I was the empath. Like, oh, let me help you. And, um... So I was always that caring nature and I always wanted to 
help other people. I think it wasn't until I got into the diet space that I realized nutrition was something on a whole nother level that like super fascinated me. And it was more the mindset and the psychology behind it that really fascinated me. Mm. So how, like how old do you think you were? I think I said I wanted to be a nurse when I was like three. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you're not kidding. It's been a while. Yeah. And it just evolved as I, I went into nursing obviously. And it just evolved as soon as I went into that that job, um, it made me realize like, I don't want to do nursing anymore. I actually want to do nutrition. Hmm. So. so you must get just so much like gratification and satisfaction out of the results. Cause that's one thing about weight. I'm sure right. if someone really follows your program, yeah. you know, you see them go from big to small and what that must do for their confidence and their energy. So there must be a lot of like uh, gratification in what you do. Yeah. I, I love cheering people on and, and just keeping them going and just kind of um, helping them sort of see that like the small wins are more than anything. And I think a lot of, a lot of guys also come to me in terms of like, I want to play hockey with my kids, but I feel like I'm overweight and I can't get on the, my skates and I just feel out of breath and I want to keep up with them. And even just small things like that, like I can, I can now play with my kids and I feel really good mm. and I can like do the exercise I want to do. Like, um, you know, it's, it's sort of that for the men, like more health issues I've noticed than women. It's more coming to weight weight issues and things like that but I think it's what helps me feel good about what I do is seeing people's progress with their mindset and their emotions more than anything than just seeing the scale numbers come mm -hmm. down because then you know you've really fixed the problem right. probably long term right someone can go on a diet but as soon as you go off the diet it actually makes them worse. yeah then it makes them worse yeah. where if you fix the mindset which is the root cause right. to their issues then that provides more longevity for a good right. solution yeah. Yeah. You're smirking. No, I'm just I'm thinking in my head and like I just my partner was telling me yesterday, like I like to be like a scientist about it. Like I'm just it makes I don't know, it's it's really enthralling for me to figure out what's going on with that person and help them get to the bottom of it and figure out why. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's they like a can puzzle. do something about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's the puzzle. So what do you vow to yourself in life? Always change, always improve. Um, basically what the mission is is always work on myself there's never a place of feeling stagnant that I'm done now like yeah <laughs> you know like I'm I'm better and I'm you know there's always evolving and changing and um I'm very big on telling my kids like I'm not perfect and mm -hmm. you know a lot of adults we aren't perfect and um we want you to see that mm -hmm. you know that you know, you guys can change and evolve and everything yourself as well. Mm -hmm. I asked my daughters not too long ago in the last few months, I said, you know, mommy loves you so much and I, I want you to think about it. You don't have to tell me now, but I said, is there anything that I could be doing better as mm -hmm. your mom? That's great. I love that. And um, Ruby wanted more time mm -hmm. and uh, Ophelia, uh, the only thing she wanted well, was time too in a way she wanted me to volunteer at her school. So now oh, I do that. So nice. Yeah, but it was... I do like I, I have this um, like yearning to ensure that I am, you know, the, the best parent I could be. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it's really um, important that we have those open conversations with our kids. Even yesterday I was driving with my daughter and we were, you know, she's all, she's in grade three and she's her friends are talking about where they're going to go to junior high school. And there's <laughs> a there's a there's a, a school that I think would be great for her friends and other school and that's for her schools this year. And she loves her new school. Mm -hmm. But she was very adamant that she must go where her friends are going. And I said, well, Ophelia, I, your father and I will never force you to do something. We will always have the conversation with you. 
and ensure that you are a part of the decision. It doesn't always mean that you're you're going to make the decision, but we will always we will always give you an opportunity. And it was mm -hmm. so interesting. I was watching her in the mirror and she's processing this and I could tell like she was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and so just to have those open conversations with our kids, I think are, are just so crucial. They just want to be heard. Too. They just want to be heard. And I'm sure that you went through a lot of that, you know, when you were grieving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, uh, what charity of choice would you like to spotlight today, Bethany? Basically anything that's mental health. I think the, I think it's the CMH. Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's the uh, mental health one in Calgary. I can't remember what the acronym is for though, but it's a mental health charity basically for people that are suffering because all of this entails mental health for mm -hmm. a lot of people. If you get your mind right, you know, you can do so many things right. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of, I think, um, well, not I think, I know there's a lot of mental health charities that are supporting uh, families, teenagers, men and women. And I think what a beautiful world it would be if instead of walking around with undiagnosed mental health issues, we had healthy minds. Yeah. What a, what a different, different world we'd be in. Well, Bethany, thank you so much for being our guest today and being vulnerable and sharing your story of healing, finding purpose. And um, yeah, I'm just honored that you were here to tell your story. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It helps us spread the stories.